It's the Ambiguously Blind Podcast with your host, a guy that's great up hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, 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 greetings. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in and subscribing and for supporting our little podcast experience. As I've mentioned numerous times, there's a plethora of information and links as well as merch opportunities awaiting you at ambiguouslyblind.com. So please go check us out there. And if you want to send me a message or have a topic suggestion, you can email me, john at amblind.com. In this episode, a former guest returns, Brandon May. He appeared in the Maybe Writing episode. Brandon is an author. We talked about writing and his technique and publishing his first book. And he also had some advice for me on how to get the story I want to tell out of my head and off of some scratch pads onto something more substantial and had to basically turn it into a feature film that I think eventually wins an Academy Award. So it's a pretty interesting episode. I suggest you check that out also. But one of the things that we didn't have time to get to was our love for hip-hop music during our formative years of, say, around 1985 to 1995. You know, what else would a couple of white suburban kids want to talk about than the influence that hip-hop music had on them back in the glory days of their music exploration. And I think it's a pretty interesting conversation. We're going to go through a lot of bands and songs and things that we remember from those days, but there are many that we leave out because we forget about them temporarily or just didn't have time to get to all of them. So we will include in the post at ambiguouslyblind.com all of the ones that we omitted and what we'll talk about hopefully the next time we, we get together. So Brandon May, it is damn fine to have you back on the podcast, sir. And it is damn good for you to have me. It's damn good to speak to you again. Yes, yes, yes. So we talked a couple episodes ago about writing and your prowess and all those types of things. And we talked about maybe even getting together on uh, writing a book. We haven't done that yet, but there may be, maybe that'll happen. I mean, maybe yes. we may be writing. We may be writing, and I love the play on words of the title of that last podcast, which you should check out if you haven't listened to it already. Yeah, I agree. It was very good play on words on, on several different levels, <laughs> if I can pat myself on the back there a little bit. so You should. Yeah, yeah. So after we got done with that discussion, we thought, you know, it'd be good to do another one of those, and so here we are. And um, what did we decide we were going to talk about? Well, I believe that we were going to talk about our mutual affinity for late 80s, early 90s hip-hop. But before we start that, I feel like maybe we should get some music to kind of set the mood. Hey, you know what? That's a good idea. Let me, let's see if we got anything around here. I mean, I know I'm catching you off guard. That's okay. I can adapt pretty quickly. Um, okay. Hold on a minute. Let me turn the volume up here a little bit here. I think this is something that might get us going. Oh, yeah. That's nice. You just want to breathe that in, don't you? <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm in my silk of, robe. Kind of loud. I am not in a silk no. robe. Actually, you know well, what? I'm joking. I'm not. Well, that would be better if you were. Well, I am then. I'm actually in. Uh, so you mentioned, you mentioned uh, the time period we were going to discuss here, which was mid '80s to mid '90s, and as it, ironically. Today, I'm actually in a pair of pants from uh, that time period. Oh, you're wearing Zubas? Like the Dan Marino pants? No, Z Cavaricis? You're in... Really? 
What okay. color? Okay, no, I'm not. How many belt loops does it have? <laughs> no, I'm. I wish I had some Z Cavaricis or maybe some. Uh, gosh, what were those jeans called? Gerbos. Gerbos, yeah. Yeah. No, I have a pair of. I think it's just equally as good. Carpenter pants on. <laughs> They're actually corduroy carpenter pants. Oh wow! Because nothing says I am a carpenter like corduroy. No, and these are from this time period and it's as you may know where we are at the time of this recording it is quite cold in our it little is. little burg mm -hmm. and i would get these pants out in the cold weather and they're they're very warm and i can carry a hammer pretty much anywhere i go so in case you need to break up some ice or you know just intimidate the children exactly gotcha. exactly so i also find that on the uh the, the belt loop is on the left leg I'm sorry, the, the hammer loop is on the left leg, but on the right leg, there's two utility pockets. And I'll tell you what, man, a, a phone fits right on in there, just slides right in. It was serious. So they designed. were visionaries. Yes. They were visionaries. Take that, Steve Jobs, God rest him. So I'm, I'm in the 85 to 95 state of mind already. I've been there all day, actually. <laughs> then you've already surpassed me. Teach, <laughs> teach me your wisdom. <laughs> okay, all right. So um, mid-80s to mid-90s hip-hop, right? What else yes. would a couple of white guys want to talk about besides that, you know? Oh, well, I mean, it pretty much... I mean, so you're... I, you're younger than I am, but not by much, right? I was I'm August of seventy seven. Are you seventy seven or seventy eight? Oh no, you're you're older than me, sir. Okay. You're the you're okay. the one with all the wisdom here. That should be obvious anyway. Anybody listen to the our previous episode. I just don't have the pants for that like you do. So <laughs> Well, we gotta take what you can do. You know, you got the wisdom, I got the pants. So maybe together <laughs> we would be dynamite. That's right. So yeah, I mean it's kinda one of those deals where that genre of music came about right at a pivotal moment in, I guess, my adolescence. And yeah, I think it, if it was the same for me, too, because this would have been like middle to high school time period, kind of in the middle of both of those. So tell me this. All right. So what was the... Because obviously, like, the, the that area of hip-hop you know that there's different sounds they sampled a lot of different music and it all came from previous sound so what was it that drew you to it when you first what was the first song you heard or who was the first artist that you really gravitated towards what was it that brought you in to say i want to hear more of this hmm that's a good question so probably uh, i'm scanning here but mc hammer comes to mind yeah, it's there. And there's others that come to mind, but I think they're going to be later. They're just more memorable. Like you got your Vanilla Ices and of course your Beastie Boys would probably, I don't know if my, my timing's right on that. Uh, when was Hammer, you know, hammering away? Hammer would be post licensed to ill Beastie Boys. So like your Run DMC... Okay, uh, yeah, Run DMC. Run DMC, Kings of Rock, and Beastie Boys debut, License Ill, were both around the same time. 
uh, I want to say like 85, 86-ish. Hammer then came in, and that's where I always referred to MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice as gateway drugs because that's what kind of made the hip-hop movement uh, digestible for suburban white kids such as ourselves mm-hmm. because it was and because not just because that's all we could handle but that's all our parents would allow us to handle yeah. um, and then so that opened a lot of doors to oh well then you get kid and play that's a very safe hip-hop duo and then they start making their movies and what have you but under the surface of there you didn't get a whole lot of radio play like run dmc wasn't on the radio very often the bc boys are not on the radio no hardly of, at all those guys actually were any of those guys on the radio really I mean, no. hammer maybe yeah yeah basically until they broke through um and vanilla ice and um then because of them though as everyone tries to crack on them uh for being, you know, quote unquote, whack MCs or whatever, but they did open a door to where other groups were able to finally break through into top 40 radio. And then people started to listen to more of that genre of music. But for me, it was always goes back to Run DMC and the Beastie Boys. But then because of Run DMC, I found Public Enemy, which was a total game changer that's pretty much what sold me on the whole the whole genre because it was then you realized all right this isn't just about making music this is about preaching a message this is about teaching a lesson this mm-hmm. is about a social movement this is about you know you and I are what middle school white kids in the suburbs of Dallas and i had no idea what the watts riots were until I found a public enemy album and then that's what made me want to go and research all of that other stuff. So it it was more of, I, I enjoyed the genre, but I also more enjoyed the journey that it took me on of exploration and education of something that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to digest just in our little bubble that we lived in. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. It does. And I, I, you're right about run DMC. I, I just had forgotten that, but they were very early too. And especially when they did the crossover with uh, Aerosmith, Walk This Way. Precisely. I feel like that yeah. maybe even was before 85, was it? Or very, it was uh, probably very yeah. close to that. It was right around there. That was the first time when people realized that you could mix those two worlds together because that's where Run DMC, like uh, Walk This Way, that little beat, they used to sample that beat when they'd be at clubs doing shows and they just use it because they thought it was a really dope beat when you just did that hook over and over and over again and they just rhyme over it and then they eventually collaborated with Aerosmith and then once that happened and that video came out on MTV then that's when MTV realized we have something here and then Yo, Yo MTV Raps came on and they started promoting that area of music mm-hmm. as well so um, but yeah, you're right. Like we knew Aerosmith. And I feel like also, I feel like also our parents, that's kind of where they might've heard that. Cause that, that song, I bet you that was on the radio, right? Walk this way. Don't you think? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and more importantly, like I think from our 
parents' standpoint, at least from my parents' standpoint, that's when it felt safe to let your kids listen to this. Right, yeah. Oh, they're with Aerosmith. And I kept thinking, man, I bet Aerosmith's 10 times worse. Than <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it was like, once you realize like, oh, okay, this isn't something way over here. This is actually really mutual kind of stuff. And they're working together, they're collaborating. And, and it, it, Public Enemy did the same thing. Um, with uh, Bring the Noise, they collaborated with Anthrax, of all people, and they did a mashup of one of their songs. So once you started getting that blend between the hard rock and the hip-hop community, then it opened up a whole bunch of different different avenues for people to find their music and their message. Yeah, I feel like we're going to be all over the place here because I don't, I don't really have an order. There's so many groups that I want to bring up, and I... In the, in the time that we're together here, I will miss probably more than half of them, which is too bad. But there, I mean, there's just so much gold during these years, um, especially in the the time period of you know our, our growing up and the uh, the influence that it that it played on us. You know, like what about Naughty by Nature? Naughty by Nature was the anthem group. Like that was what they were known for. I like hip hop hooray to uh man i don't even remember all the their 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 main hits they had three hits uh were they were all anthem songs um opp and like they it was all anthem songs things that anybody in the crowd could just immediately sing along to yeah and they were masters at that but then they were able to make hits with that but the rest of their albums were good but uh they were just your normal hip-hop tracks then you had your under the surface bands like tribe called quest which is in my opinion one of the best hip-hop groups of all time uh along with de la soul okay good i have them on my list too de la soul yeah de la was way up there but the thing is they were doing hip-hop not like we we talked about this you're more of a west coast hip-hop i'm more of an east coast hip-hop I think, so. I think so. I think so. And again, yeah. I'm 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 not very uh, I don't know how deep I go on the the backstory on most of this stuff. So I mean, we don't have to get into any kind of a gang war about it. I'm yeah, just Yeah, I didn't bring I I, I could have brought a gun because I have enough pockets and a place to put a <laughs> hammer, but I didn't. So we'll be we should be fine. <laughs> Lucky me. <laughs> no, I think that was the the biggest takeaway i always had was between the two genres it almost felt like because i was a fan of both if you were on the west coast generally you sampled parliament funkadelic type music so you had you know whether it was all the way up to the san francisco area where you had digital underground or down to, you know, Dr. Dre, NWA, Ice Cube, mm-hmm. and all of that. And then kind of floating in between those two worlds was Tupac. And they all kind of sampled in the P-Funk realm. Whereas once you got up to the East Coast, then you had more jazz influence. So when you got, uh, you know, you got to like Gangstar, EPMD, KRS-One, K-Solo, Lords of the Underground, DOS Effects any of those groups even biggie was all mostly your jazz influence more horns 
um, smoother beats and everything. Same thing, you're still sampling music. And then uh, it all kind of culminated to where then the, that trickled down south when you started getting into Outkast and Ludacris and even down in Houston when you had the Ghetto Boys where they started putting in more of like blending the two things together like you know like a gumbo and putting together their own sounds and just watching that artistry come together was sometimes the rhymes were really bad you, you could have a really good beat and a really bad MC or you could have a really good MC and a really iffy beat but you could kind of see where they were going with it and so yeah I just loved watching it it was just invention that's what I loved about it the most. And then there's, of course, there's some pop in there too. What about uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff? DJ Jazzy Jeff, I think to this day will be best known as the one who's always thrown out the door by Uncle Phil. <laughs> so, so the Fresh Prince uh, gets all the glory there. Yeah, yeah. I feel really bad for DJ Jazzy Jeff. He was just a punchline the whole time. Hmm. It's unfortunate. I know. Hopefully he got some some money out of that. I'm sure he did. I bet that guy is in a will somewhere. All right. Let me ask you about this one. What about Biz Marquis? I think Biz Marquis is a guy who, in any other circumstance, that guy would have been very highly praised. And he, he was a phenomenal beatboxer. He it was a very underrated skill at the time, I guess. People just thought it was easy. It's not easy at all. I think the best and worst thing that happened to Bismarck he was his hit song, his one-hit wonder, if you will. Oh, baby, you got what I need. That's a good one. Yep. It's a great song, but it almost diminishes what he was on his true level, which was a beatboxer. That dude was a human sampling studio and no one really got to hear that they only knew him for that one song because that was the only thing that went mainstream yeah which is a good song but yeah he was i uh, don't even know if he if he bebops in that does he no that's just it like the majority of his best work was when he just grabbed a mic and would beatbox live on stage and you couldn't even tell that there wasn't an instrument around him it was all him but I, I don't know everything about it was just it was new and it was refreshing but then at the same time when they started doing you know when they started realizing oh we can make albums and sell these well then we need to have something behind us to perform to well we don't have a band and so let's just use this one track that we used to rhyme on over at the club and then we'll put an album out and then all of a sudden people are like oh uh by the way we have the rights to that song and you owe us money because you just used it in your album and then they realized oh there's this thing called copyrights and then oh, they started knowing a lot of people when like, that happens yeah. don't you hate when people who created something want credit for want, it want credit and, and to be paid for it yeah it's amazing 
but there's a good and a bad from that i mean the bad is that they realized oh man we got to give all this money that we just made off this album to this other person who gave us half the reason that we made the album but the other good thing though from my perspective is it introduced a whole world of other music that i wasn't aware of because you know i did not know at the time when like you said mc hammer i did not know who rick james was shame on me yeah but now you do and then now you did. i do and then dave Chappelle made it punchline even more interesting yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, you said I'm more West Coast, you're more East Coast. I think I'm a little bit more like, I think I'm a little more pop, hip hop, you know, like, like Rob Bass and Tone Loke. Where do those fit in in your wheelhouse? Rob Bass would have been East Coast, but I, I get where you're going there because, um, I don't call him a one-hit wonder because people always forget Joy and Pain. That was a good one, too. That's um, a good one, yeah. But, uh, and Tone Loke as well. He was West Coast. Uh, oddly enough, I think he financed his first album based off of money he made by selling drugs. Um, mm -hmm. And the next thing you know, he's starring in Ace and Ventura, Pet Detective. Ventura. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> you can't achieve, children. You can't achieve. Um but no, you're right. Like they, they were the ones who bridged that gap where uh, mainstream radio found, oh, this is a hip hop song. Let's put this on. This is catchy. And then other people, I mean, think about Sir Mix-a-Lot. He's only known for uh, one yes. song. Sir Mix-a-Lot, yes. <laughs> He's known for one song. That guy put out like five albums or something. He's known for one song. And he's yeah. still getting paid for that one Big song. Big time. Man. I'm, do you seriously have you ever when was the last time you dialed 1-900 Mix-A-Lot to kick the nasty thoughts I mean yeah. I bet somebody still does that not you maybe but some people probably do I'm going to do it later when we get off the call yeah but that sounds like maybe <laughs> uh, it's those it's those weird one-offs where people who had like a long career in this industry in this genre are only known for one song because that's the only one that wound up going mainstream. So like Tone Loke, yes, I appreciate Tone Loke because it brought people to this area. But at the same time, then they kind of get clowned on because that's all they did. When in fact, they did more than that. They, they were kind of just, like I said, they were a gateway. Yeah. Come on over. This is fun. You will enjoy this. You think... Would you put Young MC in that category too? Oh, absolutely. Young MC. Um, man, think about like when when New Edition kind of disbanded and then Bell Biv DeVoe, they were the first ones that started doing the R&B with like we're going to sing a little bit, but then in the middle we're going to drop a rhyme for 16 bars. Yeah. I am and, all into Bell Bib DeVoe, BBD. Yeah. Got it. Yes. And then they started the East Coast family. Don't forget, uh, yeah, Boys to Men and uh, ABC. Another bad creation. Yeah. 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 And then I think they even had MC Brain for a second there. I don't know MC Brain, but I do yeah, know. he that... had the one song. What song was that? Brainstorm. It was, it was, you couldn't have written it yourself. It was amazing. <laughs> I, 
right along in that line of Belle Bib DeVoe, which I, is, I, I, I like that stuff. I, I, I'm a fan, you know, and I'm a huge fan of Boys to Men. In fact, I was in the grocery store a few days ago and Motown Philly came on in the grocery store and I just, I just start bobbing, you know, my head starts bobbing. I'm kind of just, uh, moving around. It's a good song. Yeah. And then you immediately started like getting a hankering for a cheesesteak, right? I did actually. Yeah. And I went to the deli and got one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know where to go with that, but yes, you're right. That's the weird thing too, is I walk through the grocery store and a song comes on and I'm like, oh man, this is an awesome song. And then my daughter looks at me and is like, this is an old this song. This is terrible. Like, yeah, okay. this is a terrible I have song. A, I have a theory about that. So I've noticed that now that I'm a, in air quotes, adult. And yeah, yeah, I, air quotes, right. for sure. And I'm in a grocery store, particularly a grocery store, the and fact that we're even in a grocery store just that solidifies everything. Right? Adulthood, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like we are more, or we, our age group now is kind of the target demo for grocery stores because a lot of times I'm in there and I hear songs from this time period. And I can just remember as a kid being in the store with my parents thinking, what your daughter just said. This music's terrible. This is like elevator music, you know? But here I am in the grocery store now, jumping and jiving. Have you ever had the situation, though, where a song pops on and you hear it and then you look down the aisle and another person hears it and you can see yeah. both of you and like a mutual, lock eyes? You, you, you could do the knowing nod and you don't yeah. make it weird and right. you just keep on going. Yeah. 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 Because like, you don't want mm. people to think you're that weird. So uh, yeah, we're kind of in this. Now, this is going to be R&B. But do you remember Jodeci? Jodeci was Jodeci was dope, and then that kind of led. So, would you call Jodeci a boy band? Yes. Okay. They probably were. I have my own definition on boy bands. Like the Beatles were not a boy band, but the Monkees were. Okay, the, what's the difference though? New, is it is the, it the, the we play instruments versus we just sing or No, I think the difference is the Beatles were four guys, well, I guess when they first started there were like six of them, but they were four guys that formed their own band and then became a pop sensation. Whereas the Monkees were formed by a casting yes, agency. Yes, they were. They were put together, and most of that stuff was scripted anyway. I think, wasn't it? Precisely. Right they they for did them it. And... Yeah, they did. They did it to make a TV show. Yeah. So, because of that success group, or that, because of that plan, then you had other boy bands. But New Edition was a boy band. Uh, Boys New to Kids Men. on the Block. Boys to Boys Men. Boys to Men. They they were a boy band. Yeah. Um, so that's to me that's the difference. Whereas if you had like the Roots. The Roots, were, they're not a boy band. They yeah. were just friends from the same neighborhood that just happened to be amazingly talented at music, and they formed a band. Whereas, you know, Jodeci was probably, hey, we want to form a band. We're taking open casting calls. You're talented, you're talented, you're talented, you're talented. Come on board. Here are seven songs. You record them, and you're going to be hits overnight. But that doesn't diminish the fact that it was good music. 
Okay, so here's another one that might be considered a boy band that I, I put in the line with uh, right after Boys to Men was a uh, crisscross. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a gimmick, I guess. I don't, I don't know what the real story is there, but were they attached to the Boys to Men, Belle Bib DeVoe, ABC crew, or am I just? No, no, actually, they were. Uh, I'm not sure if they came out of Atlanta or not. I just know they were attached to Jermaine Dupree. He was their producer. And so that was their whole thing was going after another bad creation. Like, no, we're the baddest child group. We're badder than you. And we wear our pants backwards. Yes. And, um, but they, uh, yeah, I think they were definitely put together for a purpose rather than, you know, putting out good music, which I thought was funny was they came out like as these like really young, fresh faced kids doing hip hop. And then, they started getting bashed on and then their next album all of a sudden they've got like their dreadlocks and they're in their 64 impalas with the hydraulics and they're acting like they're gangsters Mm -hmm. because that's what was now popular and they're trying to show that they're hard and like man just stick to what you know like you could have been fine just put those clothes on backwards and keep on rolling keep on rolling just live it yeah just do it there may be a video of me and a very good friend of mine who hopefully is listening to this doing a rendition of one of the uh, crisscross songs with our clothes on backwards and let's cut to it now i wish i i wish i i kind of wish i had it and then i kind of wish i don't had it at the same time you know so, oh see i totally set you up for like then you you stop down you edit it and then you drop that in but you don't have it yeah well even if i actually had it it's a video so it doesn't really fit well in an audio medium it would just be the crisscross song you would hear and you wouldn't see me and my buddy, you know, going at it with uh, our clothes on backwards. Sounds like you're making excuses. Yeah, I actually, yeah. I, well, when I become a politician or like the president or something and this tape surfaces, I won't deny it. <laughs> I won't. Well, then I appreciate that honesty and I will vote for you. It, it was recorded on one of those little camcorders, you know, if you ever remember what one of those were. And it was on the mini camcorder tape. So you had to put it in the adapter to get it to full VHS size. To oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It. Where it rolls out. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's, it was done at somebody else's house and they did it. And I think they have it. And that's probably where it will will end. That That's the end of its life, I'm guessing. For good reason, though. It, it wasn't very good. well so along those lines then speaking of videos then all right were there any movies that you saw in your younger days hip-hop related that helped you like gravitate towards this music yeah there were there were and i feel like there's more than i can remember off the top of my head right now i know i'm forgetting some but and i don't even know if these are not in the right order um, chronologically but of course there's Friday yes we all knew Ice Cube before Friday but nobody knew Ice Cube the comedian no the actor or right yes yeah he had it, been it in really, some movies but no one knew Ice Cube the comedian it was really I think he I, th- I thought he was pretty good in that it's compared with Chris Tucker of course yeah that's, oh yeah no I mean he played the straight man that's like greatness, if, though. 
Yeah, it was very well played on his end. And I mean, he had writing credits on that too. Like he put that movie together, which I find astonishing because yeah. I think a lot of people, it probably took them a long time to get that greenlit because they're like, oh, who's this guy from NWA wants to make a movie? Yeah. And yeah, turned out to be a very successful movie. Yeah, he's a pretty smart dude. You know what's weird is I was I was thinking about this the other day because so like Ice Cube, Dr. Dre, Will Smith. Uh, oh, we forgot about Will Smith. Yeah. The, yeah. There's and then even um, LL Cool J. Yep, he's on my list of people to talk about here too. Those guys are um, all have all done very well. Yeah, but they've 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 crossed over. They used to be vilified back in the '90s because yes. they were like the scourge of society. My parents. I used to have an iced tea t-shirt and my mother would not let me wear it in public because she was afraid of what parents would say about her as a mother for letting me yes. wear an iced tea t-shirt. And now she loves law and order SVU, SVU. Yes. <laughs> which stars iced tea. So crazy. And Oh, it's just so good on that show. And so that's where I think it's funny you look at them and you think they've been around forever. They have to be ancient. No, these guys started their careers when they were 16 years old. Mm -hmm. So they're slightly older than you and I are. And, but they've been around forever doing this, going from just a kid trying to make an album to then worldwide tours to then getting into movies, getting in TV shows. And then now, yeah, you got Will Smith, that's not even Fresh Prince anymore. He's just Will Smith. You've, I mean, I guess I respect the fact that Ice-T has just stayed true to the fact that he's Ice-T. He doesn't go by his Christian name, right. if you will. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Friday, you've got Ice Cube. Uh, another one that always, like one of the biggest ones that brought me in was Boys in the Hood. Mm -hmm. um, yep. But then on top of that, it wasn't just the movie, it was the soundtrack. Because then you had introduced to all these other artists that you wouldn't have otherwise been introduced to that had a song, you know, they, they had a track on, on that album. And then House Party, you had mentioned earlier, Higher Learning. Higher Learning is a good one. Higher Learning was, I want to say, John Singleton's follow-up to Boys in the Hood. And Cube was in that, right? I think Cube was in Higher Learning. Yeah, and um, um, what's the other guy's name? Uh, uh, Buster Rhymes. Buster Rhymes. Oh, that was one of the early uh, Michael Rappaport was in there. He was the sniper. Yeah, he was the... Um, Where they tried to mimic the whole UT Austin tower shooter thing. Oh, and then uh, Menace to Society was a good one. Menace, that was that a, wasn't, I forgot about that one, yeah. That was a really good movie. And then you also mentioned, which was a very underrated movie, Boomerang. Boomerang, yeah, Eddie Murphy. But there's a bunch of Bobby Brown in that. A lot of Bobby Brown. At least Brown. in my mind, there's a bunch. Um, but I was big into Bobby Brown, too. And I don't know, is Bobby Brown a crossover? Is Would he, would he be hip-hop? Oh, absolutely. Because when he was in New Edition, he was the one that would put the rhymes down like everybody else was singing and he was the one that would hop in with the 16 bars which was the model for bell bib devoe after that like he so he was even though when he got into solo stuff he was more a singer even when he i mean every little step he sings the song but then he still breaks it down and he does his you know everybody wants to know what's going down yeah like, 
so yeah you were more into the hip-hop pop side yes and i was more listening to you're much more of a purist in this which is where you're going to have a lot more i'm not judgmental i'm not judgmental at all i appreciate that yeah no because i appreciate that too i i if if i'm at i'll be i'll be honest if i'm at any white person wedding and every little step comes on i'm the first one out on the dance floor (laughs) and everyone's looking at me like what are you doing and i'm tell them i wasn't invited and but what i normally go to is like I was listening to the people that weren't making it on the radio just because I liked the fact that they weren't on the radio almost opened up the possibilities for what they wanted to talk about. And yeah. And that made it, it even, could have been even just, cooler and more elusive anyway. Yeah. Just real life stuff. But I mean, as much as a movie like Friday kind of gave you a glimpse into that life or boys in the hood especially or minister society gave you a glimpse into what that life was once that's only 90 minutes of film and obviously dramatized but when you start listening to a lot of these groups i mean if tupac had his hits but when you listen to some of tupac's songs that didn't make it into the top 40 where he's really talking about what he grew up in or listening to Biggie then you start realizing that's a whole world that I never knew existed and then on top of that man this is a really good song and I don't know I was just always gravitated towards it but it all went back to Run DMC because they it's tricky to rock a rhyme to rock a rhyme to ride on time it's tricky it's a good one too. And that that one crossed over and became super pop. I mean, what was the what was the movie that came out even in the 2000s? Road Trip? Remember Road Trip? Oh yeah. Where they go to the uh, fraternity house? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, a bunch of a bunch of white guys show up at a at a black fraternity house and then they I don't I don't remember exactly what happens, but they're real nerdy white kid gets up there and just throws it down <laughs> it happens it happens to the best <laughs> of us well, I mean there was an old run DMC movie called tougher than leather and uh, there's this one scene where they're at this really nice restaurant and the Beastie Boys come in and sit down with run DMC at the table and they start just acting like animals and the whole joke was like oh I thought the white ones would be the distinguished people and that was their social commentary in yeah. the movie. Mm-hmm. But I, I always remember that scene. It's like that—that that was my whole like idea of Run DMC versus the BC Boys. Was they knew who they were and they knew what part they were playing in the whole role, and yet they were—I mean—they were still friends. They toured together, and they kind of understood what they were dealing with with that genre at that time was they knew that the the white hip-hop group would break through faster than the black hip-hop group but they made a point to play it together so that they could bring each other along and then once that happened then they pay it forward 
And then they started putting on all of these other groups from the area, especially on the East Coast. And then next thing you know, you've got a whole, you got a whole movement. And it was, there's so many good tracks that came out of that time. It was amazing. How were you listening to these tracks? As we mentioned, I don't think they were really on the radio, except no. maybe the ones I was listening to, the real pop ones were, but like you've mentioned A Tribe Called Quest or The Beastie Boys or, so, I mean, did you have, was this still cassette tapes for you? Uh, yeah, uh, cassette tapes and then eventually CDs. But so, and I'm sure that my, my parents either already know this or they're not listening to this anyway, but full disclosure, what I would do is I would go and buy the CDs at like Walmart that had been like scrubbed, you know, that didn't have the parental advisories on them. Now, wait so a minute. they had been hold, like hold edited. On hold on a minute. Oh, okay. Like they were edited versions as opposed to somebody like taking the sticker off. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they they had gone through. Like they would put out their normal album with the advisory sticker on it. Yeah. But then just to help sales, they would put out gotcha. another version yeah, where right. they had edited out all the the naughty words. I would I would buy the CD version of the edited one. But then I would buy a cassette version of the original parental advisory one so that I could listen to the cassette on my Walkman with my headphones on. And then nice. I'd go and mow the lawn and I'd listen to the whole album and nice. none the wiser. But then when I went into my room, I would listen to the like whitewashed parent happy version and on CD in my boombox, so if they happen to walk by my room, oh, that's, you know, oh, that's Brandon. safe he's just Yeah, oh, to... he's just listening to that hip-hop Sweet music little Brandon. Yeah, well, you yeah. know, I don't think our parents know what podcasts are, and, and nobody listens to this podcast anyway, so I think, I think your secret's well, safe there. I, I, I thought you told me that you can find it at any place that you get Oh, you can find from. it anywhere you get podcasts. But, <laughs> Shameless uh, plug. Let's do it. Uh, but nobody listens to it anyway, so don't don't worry about uh, spilling any any beans here. No, but that's that. it was both. It was CD and cassette, but mostly cassette because I would I was mowing lawns at the time, and so I would just roll up on my jobs, and I'd have a whole stack of cassettes. And Yeah. So, yeah, Ice-T, Ice Cube, N.W.A., Ghetto Boys, Tribe Called Quest, De La, Dust Effects, Public Enemy. Easy E? Just, was he in there? Easy E was Solo. in there. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever get involved in the whole Dre versus Easy E dispute? Did you take a side on that one or were you pretty neutral? No, I think I was listening to the Diddy by Paperboy when that was going on. <laughs> you, you just stayed out of that fight, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. You know, I didn't yeah. bring a gun, so felt like we'll just do the Diddy. Uh, you, you didn't have to. the, you didn't have the pants for it at the time. Oh but, yeah. no, I didn't. I sh but if I had some Cavaricis, I would have been dancing around like the hammer. You should, you should have. Yeah, yeah. Do the ditty if you want to. What yeah, about? But, let me ask you this: Did you ever have any issues buying those uh, tapes or cassettes or CDs that were parental advisory? Did you ever get carded or somebody ever challenge you on that? Oh yeah, a time or two, which is weird because. I was never afraid to do that. I was no, I wasn't either. I, I mean, it was kind of one of those. Like, I start thinking now with uh, 
I start, I start looking back, it's like, man, it was way too easy for me to get cigarettes. And it was way too easy for me. Like I knew which places at the Collin Creek mall I could pop in <laughs> depending on who was working the, the yeah. register that day that would just let me walk out with, you know, I, I would still pay for it. Obviously I wasn't shoplifting, but he didn't care. But then I also knew, oh, this is the guy. He's seen me before. He's not going to let me buy this album. And I remember walking into a place when Ice-T, remember when he tried to do that hard rock group called Body Count? Yes. And he had that song called Cop Killer. Cop Killer, I do. And they shut that down. So there was like, but as a result, the CD itself became a limited edition. I walked into... uh, the Camelot music or whatever it was at Collin Creek mall. And this one guy was working there and they had like two copies in the back because they weren't allowed to sell them. I was like, can I buy this? And he said, yes. And so I bought it and walked right out. But yeah, so you had to be a little, it was a little nefarious, you know, a little subterfuge here and there. Yeah. Um, I certainly bought some of those. I don't remember I don't remember the ones that I bought or I wasn't challenged, but the one that I wasn't challenged that often, but I do remember at the, there was a blockbuster music yeah. at uh, Park and Preston and Plano. And I was trying to buy Onyx. Remember Onyx? Yeah. Slam. Yeah. And I was denied. And. Oh, that place was notorious for shutting kids down. Were they? Yeah. So I yeah, actually was, continue your story. I was going to, uh, yeah, continue your story because I'll follow up on it. I well, think I, I know where this is going. Well, I was just going to say, I, uh, like a, maybe a day or two later or something, I was over at one of my friend's house and I was telling my friend about it. And I don't know, at some point it came up and her mom was there and she's like, I'll get it for you. So we went, <laughs> we went and got it. She went and got it for me. <laughs> Were you standing next to her when it happened? No, I stayed in the car. Oh no, that would have been the biggest. Yeah, that would have been best, especially if the yeah. guy that denied me was there before. But yeah, no, I was there one time, and there were a couple of kids on the what you might consider the heavy metal side, looking like heavy metal kids, and I was over on the hip hop side, wearing my hoodie and my baggy pants, and the manager and like a security guard were following me around and no one was bothering them. Right. And then that's when I was like, okay, I'm not shopping here anymore. They clearly have a type. And then, yeah, you start kind of figuring out who will and will not let you, I guess, uh, enjoy certain types of music depending on how you look. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, is a young suburban white kid. Yeah. You know, but yeah, that was, uh, you eventually found the places where, okay, this guy understands you're, I'll just put it this way. If you walk up to the cash register as a young kid with like the single of Two Live Crews, Me So Horny, they're going to know, all right, <laughs> this kid just, thinks this is funny or whatever if you walk up to like a music store counter and you slap down the low-end theory by trap called quest 
that dude's gonna look at you and be like all right this kid knows what he's doing i'm gonna go ahead and sell it to you mm -hmm. and so you kind of figured out the lay of the land because there was almost like this mutual respect from people who were legitimately music lovers of because the weird thing was parental advisory started with hip-hop but it eventually moved into other genres yeah, just of about music. everything yeah anything that had yeah language in it yeah i mean eventually like i mean red hot chili peppers were getting slapped with that kind of stuff warrant but at the same warrant warrant Chiri yeah pie. yeah which you know that's a damn shame isn't it it sure is but yeah it was a, it was an interesting time i I, I'm trying to think of another time. Obviously, we're our own age. We live in our own world. I'm trying to compare it to what it must have been like maybe in the 60s when things went from like, you know, quote unquote rock and roll of your like Elvis variety into like, oh, here comes Jimi Hendrix and <laughs> the doors and something that's really unsettling to the parents who grew up with a certain and then now you've got you know you've got your Aerosmith but then you also have your run DMC yeah. and how our parents must have reacted to that maybe it was different for every parent and then now if looking at how we are as parents and I listen to what they pass off as hip-hop now and I hate to sound old but that's bullcrap what I'm listening to now, I'm not going to say names, but the mumble rap stuff about popping bottles, come on, man. This used to be a very, very good art form, and they had to fight for airtime, and now you're just handed airtime, and all you can do is, you sound like the guy from uh, Boomhauer from King of the Hill. Mm -hmm. It, I sound really old by saying that, but it's just, I guess, a generational thing. I don't know how you feel about it. Your kids probably don't even listen to it, do they? No, we're not there yet. But let me let me ask you this. Who who present day would you say is give me a couple names of some people you think are doing it right? Uh present day Anderson Pack is uh Uber talented. I I'm a huge fan of John Legend, even though he's not what you would consider hip hop hip hop. Um, I like the way that he kind of molds both worlds. Like, so what you were saying with, uh, like you like the pop side of the hip hop, he kind of bridges the gap between the two. And then the roots, they, they've, they've got all the bases covered. And then I'm very happy to see them have like a national stage being on, you know, yeah, Jimmy the, Fallon's show. Yeah. And, because they've been around for years before they got on that show. And so seeing them get that kind of like attention and reputation is really cool. So take it back now. Give me, or let's, let's talk about during the time period that we set out to talk about here from like 85 to 95, who are the ones that you can't live without? So I take it that a tribe called quest is in there. Yeah, Tribe. Um, let's see, eighty-five, ninety-five, definitely Tribe. Uh, just from an influential standpoint, it had to be Public Enemy. And then, if I'm going to throw in, 
a wild card, I would say maybe, uh, man, that's tough. Like DOS effects. They had one really solid album and they had a style that no one has even bothered to recreate, which I don't know if that's a bad thing or not. You know, like mm -hmm. there's the whole, there's the whole bit about Girl Scout cookies where, you know, in 75 years, no one has copied your business model, but yet you still do it. Um, DOS effects did something that no one has ever tried again. Uh, but they put out one good album and then that was it. They were out, they were done. Did, but, did they, they didn't do anymore or they just wasn't? No, no, I don't think they ever made a follow up album. I think they split up after that, but, um, so I have in my collection, I have, they want FX. That's the only song I have from that that album and yeah. that one's in my heavy in my rotation as far as play counts so i i still listen to that yeah if you if you ever get the chance just listen to the whole album uh mike checka um was another one but there's i mean there's a t there's a ton of groups that i used to listen to like there was a whole group that put out one album called the alcoholics with a k at the end um that was a very well produced album that you know, it was just, it was, it was a good album and, um, yeah, just like a lot of different groups like that. But if I were to narrow it down, Tribe, Public Enemy, um, obviously NWA is in there just because they were the ones that really broke through and pissed a bunch of people off, which I enjoyed. Um, but yeah. That, and where do the Beastie Boys fit in there for you? I put the Beasties in a totally different category, man. Their first album, License of Ill, was definitely hip-hop, definitely rap. And then after that, they followed it up with Paul's Boutique, which I thought was a beautiful album, but nobody liked it because they were expecting more, like, drunken frat rap. And then when Check Your Head came out and everyone realized, oh, that's what they were doing with Paul's Boutique, then I think they transcend hip hop at that point and they just became their own thing because they were doing punk rock and hip hop and like they were doing instrumentals. There were songs on their albums that wasn't even them rhyming. It was just an instrumental. They were just doing a jam session. They were playing their own instruments. Like, like I think they started off in hip hop. They brought a bunch of white kids like me into hip hop. And then they said, okay, now that you're welcome into this world, we're also going to just go do our own thing now. And so I love the Beasties. They're their own thing as far as I'm concerned. And then Run DMC, as far as I'm concerned, no one's ever going to top them as the pioneers of the whole genre. Even though I know there were people that came before them like Sugar Hill Gang, Run DMC is what brought it to the mainstream. And for some reason, I feel like we can't end this without at least mentioning Snoop Dogg's name. Snoop was a weird thing. Like, do you remember, when was the first time you remember hearing about Snoop Dogg? Do you remember what track it was on? I'm guessing it was from The Chronic. Um, what was the song... Nothing but a G thing? Probably, yeah, that's probably it. Yeah, so before the Chronic dropped with Nothing But a G thing, Dre was commissioned to do a song on the soundtrack for a movie called Deep Cover. 
with Lawrence Fishburne. And so on that song, which was titled Deep Cover, and you can look it up, it's, it's a sick beat. He It was Dr. Dre introducing Snoopy Dogg. Like he hadn't even become Snoop Dogg at that point, I don't think. And um, that was, he was probably, I want to say 19 years old when he was on that track. And then because that song went so well, then Dre put him on the chronic and then Snoop Dogg put out his own album. And then obviously the rest is history and he's doing Corona commercials Yeah, yes. <laughs> and hanging out with Martha Stewart. But um, yeah, Snoop, Tupac, like there's, there's so many. And the fact that there are so many is speaks paramount to how far this genre has grown from the mid eighties when everyone just thought it was heresy or it would never last or anything. And now look at us now, these guys are on law and order SVU and our parents yeah, level. Totally mainstream. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. In fact, it's almost like I feel kind of like, no, you can't have this. I had this before you had this. And even then I didn't have this. Other people had this before I even knew about it. So it's, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad that it's uh, grown, but at the same time, it does also feel kind of like I don't want to share it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Um, it also makes sense, and I need, I need to look up Deep Cover. Deep Cover. That's the name of the movie One, also? Yeah. Once you hear the beat, you will, you will immediately recognize it. Now, I don't Oh, you have the rights to that, so we can play it right now. We're going to cut uh, to it now? I'm not that good. We're going to cut to it now? I'm not that good. We no, need a little no. more planning on that one. Not right now? Not right now. Okay. All All right. Right. Sorry to it's... disappoint everyone that's not listening. <laughs> that's not... <laughs> I was going to tell all my friends that we had the rights to deep cover. Maybe we'll do that the next time we get together. Maybe by that, that time we'll have the rights to deep cover and maybe some uh, Beastie Boy songs or something. I know some people. I'll talk to them. Now we're talking. All right. Well, Brandon, damn good to have you here again. And I'm damn good you keep asking me back. That didn't even make sense. It usually doesn't, so we just roll with it. And when people hear me say it, they're like, what did you just say? <laughs> Wait, talking, all right. Are you talking to Brandon? All right, so do you, do you share that with other people, or is that just between us? Oh, no, honey, that's just you and me. Oh, God. Well, then that goes with this music. <laughs> sure does. I think we have something special going on here. I actually was watching a show. It was Celebrity Wheel of Fortune tonight, and Jenny Garth was on it. And she mentioned that she and Tori Spelling had their own podcast called 9021OMG. And I thought to myself, I think John and I could surpass them in listeners within maybe five months, six months, do you think? Oh, uh, yeah. But it also just goes to show you that uh, anybody gets a podcast these days, you know? <laughs> which I'm really talking about me there. But <laughs> well, let's not disparage Tori Spelling. No, I think we can get there. All right. Well. Until we meet again, damn fine to have you, sir. 
Thank you so much for having me. It was damn good to talk to you. Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe. And for a complete transcript of this episode, connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.